0: Well, as Amy mentioned, today is a special day in the life of the church. Epiphany is over, but Lent has not yet begun, and we have this in-between Sunday where we get to go up on a mountaintop with Peter, James, John, and Jesus and bask in the glory of God. And again, I think the word transfigure is a little confusing, so I came up with my own way to remember exactly what it means, and I think it might help you too. Sometimes we think of the word transform and transfigure as the same, but I think there's a difference. If something is transformed, its essence is changed or altered. We think about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That is a transformation. But to be transfigured is only for the figure to change, for the outside appearance to be changed, not the essence of the thing itself. I have to admit, I'm not a big movie watcher, but I do know that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are at least two superheroes who are transfigured, not transformed. One example is Spider-Man. He is just an ordinary, normal guy who puts on a suit and is transfigured into the superhero needed to save the day. The same with Iron Man. Just a regular guy until he puts on the iron armor and again is transfigured into someone else. It is the same but opposite in the transfiguration with Jesus. Because in the moment that Jesus is transfigured, his true nature, his true identity is revealed for the first time to these three disciples. And for the disciples, this unveiling was um, shocking and terrifying, and they weren't quite sure what to do with this brand new information, this glowing Jesus on top of the mountain. But because Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, as Sterling mentioned last week, was always the hidden Messiah. Jesus always would heal and teach and proclaim, but didn't ever want people to know for sure who he was. He used his flesh, his skin as kind of a shield until now, until this moment, when Jesus' full glory was on display for these three disciples. So I wonder, what does it mean to glimpse a glory of God? And not only what does it mean for Peter, James, and John when they glimpsed it, but what does it mean for us today, and how does it even happen? Well, to back up, I always, when I read the Gospel of Mark, I like to slow down. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and he is definitely the most succinct. He is the one that's always immediately telling us about things that happen. Immediately, it's always very, very fast-paced. And so sometimes when we read the stories in the Gospel of John, we can lose the true story that he's telling us because everything is so quick. We can look over the details. So I want us to look back at this scripture again and to consider some of those details that he shared with us, because if Mark is sharing it, it must be pretty important. So the first thing in the lead up to the transfiguration, Mark tells us that, P- that Jesus grabbed Peter, James, and John only. And it says they went apart by themselves up this high mountain. So just before this, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus had fed the 5,000. So there were crowds that knew about him and his reputation. There were also more disciples and more people that would have been curious what was going on. But somehow Jesus got these three men by themselves. And it is very intentional in the book of Mark that it was just the four of them that went up. And then there's that second detail that they went up on a high mountain. Again, because this is just a blip on Mark's radar, we may not think about the physical trek that Jesus asked these three men to endure. And also in the Bible, anytime something happens on a mountain, we should pay attention because it's usually something big. It's a big moment in the Bible. And so when these men were climbing this mountain, they probably got winded and were tired and were pretty ready to rest and sit down when they got to the top. But instead, immediately, Jesus was transfigured. And again, we don't know exactly what this means. We don't know how it happened that Jesus's glory was shown for the first time, revealed to these three disciples. But we do know that Jesus was dazzling white. And I think these details are meant to draw us in as things that are shiny and sparkly tend to do. We're drawn to them. We want to know more. And as if that's not enough, then two other men appear beside him. And I always wonder, how did Peter, James, and John know it was Moses and Elijah? Did Jesus introduce them? You know, were they wearing name tags? It's it's always a little funny to me. I'm like, how did he know that's who they were? But apparently they were talking and all together as Jesus is glowing. And I have to think that the dazzling white of Jesus' clothes probably reminded the three disciples of the burning bush that Moses saw that was not consumed, that signified the presence of God there. And then the fire that Elijah received from God on the altar that was drenched in water to win this wager against the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings. So this transfiguration moment, not only is it just amazing and all like, Just, you can hardly even imagine it happening, Jesus glowing like this. But then we see that he is greater even than these two amazing faith fathers who we look up to, Moses and Elijah. So seeing all of this unfold, Peter, in a fit of terror, nervousness, and shock, tries to figure out what to do. I think that Peter must have been maybe a nervous talker because he starts to say, we should stay, right? We can build dwellings. It'll be great. We can come back every year and commemorate this amazing event that's taken place. Peter starts trying to help where help is not necessarily needed. But Mark tells us it's because Peter did not know what to say that he began to speak so much. He was terrified. And the last thing that happens that Elizabeth's song so beautifully talked about is this cloud overshadows them, and a divine voice comes down from above. This voice might remind you of the voice that came in Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1. However, the voice in Mark chapter 1 speaks in second person to Jesus. He says, You are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. But here, in the moment of the transfiguration, The voice speaks in third person, including the disciples, saying, This is my son. Listen to him. Pay attention to him, to the one whose glory has just been revealed to you on this mountain. This entire scene is addressed to any disciple, even today, who is struggling to see, comprehend, or understand what it means that Jesus is the glory of God on earth. Jesus has taken off all veil, masks, barriers to show that indeed he is the glory of God on earth. And with the veil lifted, we can see the full divinity of God, God's full majesty on display. Unlike Peter, James, and John, we probably will not get to see this full glory with our eyes on this side of heaven. It could happen, but it's just unlikely since it is such set-apart small moments. But I am sure that everyone here today could share about a time when they have glimpsed the glory of God. I like to think about these moments and experiences as thin spaces. A thin space is a location or moment in which the sacred is more pronounced somehow. And it feels like heaven and earth are so close They're almost touching. These are the moments when we catch a glimpse of something larger, something more profound that's happening even as we're here on earth. Moments when we hear a word or phrase that reverberates in our soul for weeks, if not years to come. Moments when a tear comes to our eyes as we stand on the precipice of God's glory. Moments when a lump comes to our throat as we encounter God in the depths of God's love and sacrifice. These are very, very thin moments. I brought an object lesson today because I have these three photos that sit on my desk here at the church every day. And I have them facing me because I love these photos. And for me, these represent three very thin moments that i've experienced in my life and while i could go into all sorts of details about where each photo was taken who i was with why i felt like it was such a special moment the thread that connects them is that i knew without a doubt that i was standing on holy ground that the sacred and earth were just so close you could almost taste it like peter i could have stayed in each of these three places among others forever. I would love to go back every year to these places to commemorate these sacred experiences where I did glimpse the glory of God. But knowing that is unrealistic and something that can't happen every year for me, I did the next best thing and I tried to take a picture. I tried to capture this holy moment that I was encountering, this glimpse of glory And, as I'm sure you all know, photos just don't do some of these places justice. But I have them sitting on my desk, so that every day in my ordinary, regular life, I can look back and remember what it felt like, what it looked like to experience this glimpse of glory. Because the reality is, not every day will feel like such a thin space. It's just not, Possible, No matter how positive or optimistic we are that every day will be one of those mountaintop experiences But I do think that we are given these glimpses these mountaintop experiences these incredibly thin spaces So that in the other times of life that aren't so glamorous aren't so Magical and dazzling that we can look back and remember that was real God was there and we can remember and know that the same God who is with us in those thin spaces, the same glory of God that was revealed to us, continues with us each and every day of our lives. You know, each day we have this Sunday where we stand on the mountaintop and we bask in the light of God's glory with Peter and James and John, and we stand in awe and wonder of a God who continues to reveal himself to us through Jesus Christ. And then each year, every single year, the next Sunday is Lent. We are in the season of Lent, a season when we move towards Easter. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And this is intentional that it always falls this way. The rhythm of the Christian year is intentional and invites us into a deeper awareness of God's continual movement on earth and in our lives. Just before the transfiguration, Jesus shared with his disciples that he would undergo great suffering and be killed and be resurrected again. And he signals the journey ahead again after he is transfigured when they head down the mountain. So the transfiguration is important for those disciples and for us today when we take a pause and we remember the glory of God. And then... We come down the mountain and we take up our cross and we follow Jesus, remembering that the cross and Jesus' glory go hand in hand. This is why we remember the transfiguration each year, because after we have seen the glory of God revealed in Jesus, we need to heed the divine voice to listen to him. This listening does not result in staying up high where the air is pure and the views are stunning but we must come down and do what it is Jesus has called us to do. As people who have seen a glimpse of this glory, we are to accompany Jesus to the cross, to take up our crosses, and to follow him, his example which leads to life eternal. Throughout Lent, we have this great opportunity to slow down and to refocus on what it means that Jesus gave all of himself for us. Many people give something up during Lent, during those 40 days, as a sacrifice for themselves, as a reminder of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Other people take on something new, like perhaps they start to study scripture more or pray more as an act of spiritual discipline. There's no correct, one-size-fits-all thing that you should or could do during Lent. The great thing is that all of our faith journeys are individual with God. And so I do invite you between now and Wednesday, the official start of Lent, to consider what God may be calling you to do or what may lead you to grow in your relationship with God. And just remember that the point of Lent is to take this time to reflect on the glory of God that came down to earth, put on human flesh, to sacrifice everything to make a way that we could have life eternal. One day, we will see God's glory on full display. But until then, let's listen to Jesus and take up our cross and to continue to look for glimpses of glory, to notice the thin spaces of our lives and to soak them up when we can. Take a picture of the spaces if you can, write about them, tell someone about them, proclaim the glory of God that is here, even if only in part. And know that as the same God that was with us on the mountaintop and in those thin spaces will be with you in the valley and throughout the next 40 days of Lent. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. I'll invite you to stand as you are able as we affirm our faith together with the affirmation of faith.
1: Again, we want to thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning here in person and and virtually wherever you find yourself this morning. We are just grateful that you have chosen to worship with us. If you have any questions about Ashland Place or the United Methodist Church, I hope you will contact the church office and speak with either Kristen or myself. We would love to share with you the story of Ashland Place and our faith. And now let us receive our benediction. Having heard the word read... And proclaimed, let us depart from this space to go into the world to share our thin moments that glimpses God's glory and to proclaim those moments to the world as mountaintop hope in the valleys of our ordinary lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.